Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. Everyone that is listening on whatever platform it is that you like to listen to us on, um, we are still trying to figure out why we're not on Spotify. Yes, I was trying to look up this podcast to show to one of my friends to prove that I was on a podcast. And I looked it up on Spotify and we weren't there. And I so. know. Which is weird because we make this with Anchor and Anchor was bought by Spotify. <laughs> so I don't know what it is. I got to figure it out because that's probably going to be the main place people. Right. And most it'll be the easiest because... Right. Not everybody has Apple Podcasts. And... To get to our Spotify playlist, you'll already be in the app. There you go. You Look at that. Switch apps. So that's why that'll be beneficial. So I got to figure that out because that's important. But um, everyone that's listening to us on whatever platform, in whatever city, in whatever country you guys are in, were you ever aware of how many countries are listening to us? Um, no. But well, not all of them. A lot. <laughs> no, not all of them, but quite a few. Okay, 20, 15, 20? Oh, more than that. I'd say probably somewhere around 60 or 70. Wow, okay. No, it's not active listeners, but someone... In someone s- in some country. At one point, hit play. Okay. And then some really, really... In fact, I'll pull up some, uh, I'll pull up some ones, and if you guys hear your country, then make a, make a noise, even though it's not here. <laughs> Yeah, some Monday morning at 9, you know, we'll hear some woo. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> There's a whole lot of you in one country. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's let's see. So we've got people listening in Singapore. Wow. And Bulgaria. And Libya. Fiji. Kazakhstan. Lebanon. The Dominican Republic. Iceland. That one's really cool. I want to go to Iceland yeah, someday. Yeah, Viking music. Um, <laughs> Myanmar, Luxembourg, Cambodia. So some pretty That's cool, crazy. Some pretty cool places. I'm gonna uh, say Singapore is probably the only one I would have guessed on that list. Yeah. You know, because it's a it's a big, you know, tech industry place. You know. Oh, and there's there's more, 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 more. I wish it would give me a number. <laughs> So because otherwise I'm gonna have to go through here and physically um, count count yeah. But we're also listened to by most of the states. I think there's only a couple that aren't listening to us. Mm. So um, fix yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. Um, I, I have a better idea now of how people are able to find us and. In these obscure places, mm-hmm. through uh, my deeper understanding of algorithms and uh, the tags that I put on each episode, I think help. So when people search in Google for that, it pops up. But still, it is very, very interesting and very cool that so many of you people that are nowhere near us yeah. have found us. And so thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Yes. You've helped us get to... A place that I never thought that this podcast would ever get to. So, um, yeah, um, we have a Facebook page. Go check us out on there. We're always having discussions. And uh, if you leave a comment that we think is funny or interesting or thoughtful, then we're going to include it in an episode. I'm still waiting to see if I can get one. I might 
start recruiting some family and friends to get the, the ball rolling. But if, uh, yeah, go check us out. And I'm going to be working on getting an Instagram as well. That might help. So um, stay tuned for that. I'll announce on an episode whenever that's ready. And then uh, we also have a link in every episode description where you can support the channel with a monthly donation. Uh, it does help us. It helps us to upgrade our equipment for research materials, and it helps us to enjoy just a little more what we do and be able to perhaps do some extra content. Extra content. Woo! Because we don't do enough already. I like the sound of extra content. Yeah. I know you probably don't. No, Secretly I, inside because you have to do a little bit more, but... Well, you know, it's a labor of love. <laughs> okay. Here's the, here's the thing. I did all this stuff before I made a podcast anyway, so... Okay. That's fair. Know. We are, I want to say we're almost 30 episodes in now at this point, or we are 30 episodes wow. in total. I'll have to do the, I'll have to count that real quick, but, you know. It's a, it's a lot. It is a lot. Uh, we have, we have done a lot of these episodes now, so I'm very, uh, I'm very happy by that. So let's see here. Um, sorry, I'm going to just, I'm going to pull <laughs> this up real quick. Okay. Yeah, well, it's crazy to think that because, like, there was the podcast before me, you know, and that, yeah. was, that was 20-something. We're, so we're 29 in now. Okay. Uh, at the time of when you're going to be hearing this. Okay. So, because uh, this is this is going to be uh, in front of a different episode than what we're actually recording. So right. I kind of bend my mind a That's little bit. That's movie magic right yep. there. <laughs> You'll never even notice. Yep. Um, but, yeah, so we, uh, we've, we're we hitting some, some really cool numbers and... Um, the podcast is just continuing to, to do really well. Led Zeppelin was a great, great episode for us, as I as I figured it would be, because they're <laughs> yeah. just one of those bands that, yeah. you know, just about anyone is going to tune into, yep. regardless of what kind of music they listen to. Um, but, you know, it actually didn't outdo you too, though. But uh, crazy. it did really, really well. Um, and we're just really happy to continue to do this. And a way that you can help us continue to do this is to uh, check out a link that's in the description of every episode that we do. It'll take you to a page where you can donate uh, money to this channel on a monthly basis. Um, it's usually, I want to say it's like $199, $499, $999 option. So not very expensive uh, unless, of course, you know, the $999 is kind of like the, the deluxe the family plan. The family plan, exactly. <laughs> um, but what that's going to do is it's just it'll help us to uh, you know be able to throw some more ideas out there to upgrade our equipment, to purchase more research materials, and um, I'm very much considering setting up a Patreon page here in the new future. I've I've got some ideas now of what we could use for um, um, like subscribe incentives mm -hmm. to have some premium content mm -hmm. and. Um, I'm also looking into figuring out how to get some swag made. Yes, I said swag. Oh, boy. Is that word still in? I. Well, I mean, I know what you mean, so I suppose. Yeah, well, I mean, I you heard, can... I haven't heard it used in an unironic context in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, even, even when I was young, I was very much out of step with what the lingo of the time <laughs> was. So it's not... I can't even say it's because I'm old. I'm not that old. Yeah. I'm just... Um, like that. Yeah. Hence, the music that we're talking about is typically not in step with what's relevant now. But right. I kind of don't care. So I mean, neither do I. Um, but until we get Patreon potentially set up, 
Um, that's going to be the way that you can support this channel. And another way that you can support if you don't want to uh, get your wallet out, a way that you can help us out is to leave us a review, um, rate us. It helps us to get on uh, lists. It helps with the algorithms for people to find us. And um, so if you will leave us a good review, I mean, I guess if you really hate us, you can take the time to say how much we suck, but I'm going to hope that none <laughs> of you guys do that. And we're also on social media, so go check out our Facebook page, The Good Music Podcast, and participate in the discussion over there. So, yesterday was the Academy Awards. Yes, and I didn't watch them. And I'm finding <laughs> that's becoming more and more the trend. Although, it was a pretty good night. I enjoyed watching the winners, uh, particularly watching um, South Korea completely mm-hmm. upset everything with Parasite winning Best Picture. Hmm. First ever foreign language film to win in that category, and uh, it was just really cool to see like how surprised and how like freaked out that they were. Hmm. Just it was really I felt really happy watching them because you could just tell that it was it was real for them. Uh-huh. It was such an achievement. Uh-huh. Um, but musically, um, the thing that I wanted to talk about was Elton John winning another Oscar for okay. is this is his second Oscar that he's won. As, for, as a recording music artist. Yes. So there's there is a category for best original song. So if you write a song, oh. if you write a song specifically for a movie, you know it doesn't count if they use your previously made song. Like you've, right. you've got to be commissioned to right. write it for the movie. Um, this was his second time to win. He won it because he wrote all the music for The Lion King. In case you didn't know. Oh yeah. Um, he wrote. He won an Oscar for Can You Feel the Love Tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did not write that song with Bernie Taupin. He wrote that song with Tim Rice, who was kind of his his second most used songwriter. And Bernie Taupin is the guy who who wrote all the lyrics to his. Yes. So Bern, so Bernie wrote the song for um, the one that won last night. So it was for the movie Rocket Rocket Band. Band, Yeah. And it's the song that plays in the closing credits called "I'm Gonna Love Me Again." (laughs) It's it's an okay song. Um, It's better than a lot of the other songs he's released in the recent era. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he played it live at the. Oscars. They nice. they always do that. All the nominees they get to do a live performance, and his was glamtastic, <laughs> uh, very colorful. It was just great to see like a full band up there, mm-hmm. and of course Elton just rocking it on the piano. Yep. Um, but the thing that was really heartwarming about it was that Bernie got to do most of the talking in the acceptance speech, hmm. and you could tell that like it really meant a lot to him, and that it was really cool that kind of Elton like stepped out of the way and just kind of let because. Elton had already won one, right. and so he got to have his big speech the first time. And you know, I felt like that that Oscar was more symbolic of kind of their whole work together. Mm-hmm. That you know, it's been fifty years now since they've teamed up mm-hmm. over fifty years, and to kind of have that as like a culmination, especially as Elton is finishing his career, he's on the right. last leg or so. Or last couple legs of his farewell tour, like this is the end. It might, that might have been the last song that they ever write together. Wow. I mean, he hasn't said All whether feels. he hasn't said whether or not that he's going to quit writing music, mm-hmm. but he's definitely not going to tour anymore. And so, um, you know, it's it's possible that that might be their last writing together. So to have that end with them winning an Oscar, I could just you could just watch and you could tell that Bernie was really emotionally moved. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it meant a lot to him. And I was really glad that they didn't try and put the focus on Elton John and have him because he's the well-known figure. Right. He just got to like 
jut in real quick and say like, uh, I'm, we don't have much time, so I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, and Bernie got to kind of make more of the speech, which was really nice. Yeah. That made me that made me happy. Yeah. So um, good for them. We're actually going to be talking about them more here in just a few minutes. Ooh. Um, but also, we've got some big tour announcements. So we've got some new tours okay. that have been announced. Rage Against the Machine has finally announced a full world tour. Look at that. Because originally they just had those four dates that were really, really strange, like El Paso and Las Cruces, and then two hmm. nights headlining Coachella, I think. Hmm. Um, but now they've, uh, I want to say it was, it was today, they announced a full tour going all over the world. Mm-hmm. Of course, they're not coming anywhere near Tulsa. No one right. really does. Mm-hmm. My one of my lifelong dreams is to eventually, like, whenever someone announces a tour, to just pick the nearest city or even a city that's not close and just go and not even have to think about it. Right. I don't have to think about how much it costs. I don't have to think about, can I fit this into my work schedule? Mm-hmm. I'll just be like, hey, Grant, you want to go see Rage Against the Machine <laughs> yeah. in, in, yeah. uh, in Omaha? Yes. Let's go. To. I don't know what's in Omaha. Not Re- much. Leave us a review if you're well, from Omaha. Well, I'm not going to say not much because that's, that's that's a fairly major city. I've never been to Omaha, yeah. so I don't know what's there. Steaks. They have steaks. Yeah, maybe. You've never uh, heard of Omaha steaks? No. Okay, never mind. Never mind then. <laughs> People, listeners from Omaha, uh, let us know what we should do if we should ever come to that city. Besides see Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. I don't even know if <laughs> Omaha's on their tour list. I was just trying to think of a random city. Yeah. Um, that would be a cool show to go to, but then the other one... The one that I would like really, really go see if I was able to um, is a. I actually can't remember if it's a co. I would imagine this is a co-headline tour because okay. I can't see either of these bands opening for each other. Mm-hmm. But it's Megadeth, Lamb of God. Oh yes, that was announced. Yes, I got I, a notification about that. Today. That was either yesterday or two days ago that they. I. I think oh, it was. I think it was two days ago. Two days ago they announced that tour. Huh. And that's one that I would kill to go. I've already technically seen Lamb of God, although I haven't seen them do a full set. Right. I've actually seen them twice now in an opening capacity. I've seen them open for Metallica, which I'll, I'll tell a funny story here about that in a second. And I saw them open for Slayer a couple years ago. Oh, yeah, that's the one where uh, the lead singer was like, hey, Did I tell to your the, friend. I, I think, Did I you think, say, tell it on this podcast? I think I told it on our Slayer episode. Okay. So I hadn't... I hadn't Talk to you about it, but apparently I've told you that story. Yeah, you, yeah, you, you, yeah. Uh, go check out our our Slayer episode if you want to hear that full story. It's really, really cool. Um, but the first time that I saw Lamb of God, um, they were opening for Metallica, mm-hmm. and I was I was quite young and kind of quite new into metal, mm-hmm. and I had heard of Lamb of God, and I think I'd heard Laid to Rest. I was like the only song of theirs that I heard just because it was on Guitar Hero. Right. I didn't know any of the other songs. Uh, and the songs that I did know only by reputation that I had heard that that was a title of their songs. Like I had heard that Walk With Me In Hell was a song or that Now You've Got Something To Die For was a song, but I never heard them. And I was also fairly new into metal itself and was still very um, scared of the more extreme stuff oh, and, yeah. and very, uh, much more sensitive to like, you know, swear words and, <laughs> and just intensity in of itself. Right. And so that whole performance, of course, he's just every other word was F word. And I was just like cringing in my seat be, being, you know, 16 years old and, right. and very yeah. sheltered, very, yeah. you know, Christian uh, private school. Just kind of been like, yeah. oh, my God, what am, I, what am I watching? But it's kind of awesome at the same time. Yeah. I was still like trying to figure out 
where I stood there. Um, also, side note, Gojira opened before them, and that was the first time I'd ever heard of them, and now they're one of the biggest metal bands in the world. So they are. Oh yeah. Okay. They're 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 up in the in the pantheon now. The twenty ten okay. the twenty tens was I would say Gojira was one of the main bands that ascended during that time. Became hmm. became metal. Eternal Metal Giants. We'll do an episode on Gojira. Okay, because I've only heard of Flying Whales. And oh, I, I yeah. was kind of underwhelmed. Oh, the, oh, they are so much more than that. Okay. Oh, <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. I'm going to start putting that on the calendar. Oh, man. Um, but they uh, they didn't have their... Lamb of God didn't have their guitarist with them on that tour. And I can't remember who... The, if it's Mark Morton or not. I know they have two guitar players, and I can't remember if Mark Morton was the one that was gone. I can't remember the other guitarist's name. I mean, don't but ask they, me. I wouldn't know. <laughs> I know. I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud. Um, so they had, a, they had a replacement guitarist there, and about three quarters through their set, someone threw a cup of beer at that guitarist, and he, like, in the middle of the song, drops his guitar, jumps into the crowd, and, like, starts trying to find the guy that did it so he can beat the crap out of him. Wow. And, of course, the rest of the band stops the show. Oh, my gosh. And they, like, have to go into the crowd and, like, pull him back onto the stage. And then Randy Bly, the singer, he's just like, well, thanks to that jerk, we're going to end our set early. Enjoy Metallica. And then they just walk off the stage. And everyone's just kind of like, uh, what just happened? <laughs> so that was uh, that was my first experience oh, wow. with Flame of God. That was, was an Axl Rose moment. Yeah, that <laughs> absolutely was. So that was my first experience with them, and so I kind of was turned off from them for a long time mm-hmm. until I finally kind of started listening, and then uh, seeing them open for Slayer like really solidified. I was just like, okay, this band is amazing. I need to really investigate them more. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's all to say. I've seen Lamb of God a couple times, <laughs> okay. but not as like you know having their own thing. Uh, and then, of course, I've never seen Megadeth, and that's a band that is near the top of my list of bands that I really want to see. Oh, yeah, me too. Because they're among my favorite metal bands. I had a ticket to go see them, and then it was with Ozzy, and then Ozzy had issues, and then <laughs> Dave had throat cancer. Which, by the way, he's recently said that he is 100% cancer-free. Woo! So good yeah. job, Dave, if you're listening. <laughs> um, we're glad that you're healthy and back in fighting form and ready to go uh, kick some butt for metal. With Lamb of God. With Lamb of God. Yes. Which, also, a, a, a funny connection there with um, uh, Chris Adler mm-hmm. uh, being famously Lamb of God's drummer until recently he has not been, mm-hmm. uh, played drums on Megadeth's newest album, on he, Dystopia. He played on, wait, which track? All of them. He was the drummer for that album. Before they, I thought Dirk was the drummer. Well, he is now, but he, he, was, he wasn't brought on until the tour. And so oh, they didn't. They just they didn't. They were ready to record, but they didn't have a drummer. And so um, Chris Adler just jumped on as a temporary uh, guy and recorded the album with them, and then pieced back out. That is. And it's why the drums sound so freaking good. On I, they do. Yeah. Oh my I gosh. think I'm really convinced it was the it was what was holding them back all through the 2000s and most of the 2010s was they had a pretty mediocre drummer. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, uh, well, Sean, sorry, Sean Drover. I mean, but like after you're coming off the back of like Nick Menza and uh, Gar Nick, Samuelson, and yeah, Nick Menza in particular is one of my all-time favorites. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace. Mm-hmm. So, um, who knows? Maybe they're they're touring for a ridiculously long time. 
like they're pretty much touring all the way till the end of the year. So maybe maybe I can figure out a way to to go see them before. Mm-hmm. But again, nowhere near Tulsa. The closest they're coming is Kansas City. They're not even coming to Dallas. Wow. They're going to San Antonio and Houston, Texas wise. And I think maybe also El Paso. That's hmm. but not Dallas, which is like this usually like, like that's if no the one, big center of population. Like. Yeah, like a lot of times I, I'll go see bands in Dallas because that's you know it's like that's close enough. Right. You know that's where I saw Iron Maiden both times. Mm-hmm. I've seen Muse there. Yep. I saw Metallica there. Um, but yeah, the closest they're coming is Kansas City, which is almost the same distance as Dallas from Tulsa. Yeah. Which I might even enjoy going to Kansas City a little more because I have some people there that I can stay with. And yep. I, think, I think they're listening. And go Chiefs. Oh, yeah. My, my father-in-law <laughs> is was a, like a week ago now. My, my father-in-law is a diehard Chiefs fan, so um, I was really excited to see him have that moment because he was mm-hmm. born in Kansas City, and, you know, he, <laughs> he, were, he, were, he, he was a kid when they won the first time, like 50 years ago. And so it was, it was really fun to watch that Super Bowl and just be really happy for him. Yeah. So, Mark... If you're listening to this episode, it was really fun to watch that with you, and proud, and happy for you. We're going to go ahead and... Go ahead. No, I was just saying, you have a lot to talk about this this artist. Yeah, well, trust me, we'll make up for it once we jump in. So, (laughs) we're talking about Elton John in this episode. Yay. (laughs) You didn't didn't see the face that he made when he said that. I don't know, what what face was it? It was a, oh God, here we go. I okay, we'll get there. But I'm I'm not an Elton John fanatic, and and I know some people who are. So and I am one of them. I know another person who is now. Here's here's the thing. You're just a fanatic about every band. Well, I (laughs) I find that when I learn about them and I really get into their music, that that's what makes me a fanatic. I would say I was a pretty healthy. Uh, Elton John fan before this, but after <laughs> my, after my research, I have become robust. That's a word. Yeah. About <laughs> uh, about a fandom. You yeah. Know, robust. So, um, Elton John, Sir Elton John, real name Reginald Dwight. I figured that was not his real name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> man, I learned so much about this this fascinating man. So, Elton John came around in, his first album came out in 69, mm-hmm. right at the turn of when popular music just made a very big shift. Yep. That shift mainly being the Beatles breaking up. Right. And as well as the the hippie, psychedelic movement of the late 60s coming to oh, a, yeah. a hard crash at the end of 69. Mm-hmm. And there being this uncertainty about what the 70s were going to be. And Elton John kind of came in right at the right time when the singer-songwriter boom started. Mm-hmm. Um, you had artists like Bruce Springsteen and uh, Joni Mitchell and Jackson Brown and uh, Todd Rundgren kind of all coming in around this time. David Bowie. Right. All, all really coming in at around 1970, 1969. And Elton John was able to get on that train pretty quickly and, and ride it to where by 74 he was the biggest artist in the world. Uh, um, yeah, and I, I would agree with that because 
just factually, I, I watched a video that had like the top sales of all time by quarter mm-hmm. and they broke it down since like 90 something. And for a period in time, like during the early 2000s, even Elton John was the number one selling by the quarter. He has the number one best-selling single of all time. Which is? Uh, his 1997 live version of Candle in the Wind, which he sung at Princess Diana's funeral. Oh. Wow. Best-selling single of all time. That's crazy, because I've never even heard that song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll do that in another episode. That's a great song. Okay, okay. Uh, and you'll understand why that was so popular whenever we dig into it. I would have put it in this episode, but it just didn't fit with the songs that I knew needed to be talked about first. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, he hold he's second all time for top forty hits, only behind Elvis. Right. Uh, yeah. And he's just like it's insane. Nine number one hits. Which, getting a number one hit is really hard. Yeah, getting a number one hit to begin with, you know, but nine. Yeah, Beatles hold the record for like 26, <laughs> but that was such a, wow. that was that was such a different and crazy time in the music industry, mm-hmm. it'll never happen again. Yeah. Um, but to have nine, there's, there's so many brilliant artists that never even got one, number one. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was reading a list of artists that never had number ones, and it was staggering. Like, because and there's for like, example, oh gosh, I don't think I can remember off the top of my head, but like, look at a band like Pink Floyd; they only have one number one single. Muddy, another brick in the wall, part two. Oh, duh! I keep forgetting that's a Pink Floyd song. Yeah, um, you know, Queen only had three of them. Granted, one of those songs went number one three different times. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was Bohemian Rhapsody, Under Pressure, and Innuendo. Innuendo was a number one. I know that's the it's the weirdest song of theirs to go number one, but I'm really glad it did because it's one of the best songs ever. It's wrote. it's a weird one, but anyway. Um, it, but yeah, Elton John's got nine number one hits. Crazy. So and he's got an insane number of top ten hits. Mm-hmm. He's got insane just talent as well. Yes. I mean, he's not only is he a good songwriter, but he can execute it on his own. He can sing and play at the same time. He's a showman. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's the whole, the whole package. package. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Look at that. So, you do know about his songwriting partnership, though, right? I do not. So, Elton John never wrote songs by himself. In fact, he never wrote any of his lyrics. Wow. He only wrote the music. Okay. Would so, he write the melody even? Yep. Okay. Yeah. He pretty much, he was paired with a guy named Bernie Taupin. Bernie Taupin was not a member of his band. Literally, his only job was to sit in a room and write lyrics. I mean, the lyrics have got to be good, I guess. And the way they're part, and I've never, I've never seen another model like this be so successful. Like, I'm sure that it's, it's happened before. Uh, or it's happened elsewhere where you've got that kind of relationship songwriting wise, but mm-hmm. I've never seen another one that's been able to do it so well mm-hmm. as Elton and Bernie. Mm-hmm. So pretty much he would sit in a room, type a bunch of s- lyrics, and then he would just give them to Elton and say, here, do something with it. 
and Elton would not come up with music beforehand. He would literally not start writing the song until the lyrics were in front of him. Oh. And he would go, okay. And he said that whenever they were like in their prime, he could write a hit song in 15 minutes because he would see it and he would immediately know what he needed to do with it. Crazy. Um, I remember reading that when they made their Honky Chateau record, which was one of the big stepping stone records for him. Uh-huh. Uh, in one day, he wrote Honky Cat, Mad Hatters and Mona Lisa's, and Rocket Man in one day. And those were the three big songs off that album. Oh my gosh. Man, I wish I could do that. I know. Just so, <laughs> yes, in that aspect, as far as melody. Mm-hmm. Like he's just he was so good, yeah, so so good. One of the best that there ever was. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and, and you you'll see it in a lot of these the six songs that we're going to talk about that the vocal melody takes you places that feel right, but you you wouldn't do yourself. Yeah, yeah. So anyway. and so, but yeah, I I wanted to give credit to Bernie because Bernie was such a great lyricist and very distinct lyricist. You can always, like, if you were to just read a Bernie Taupin lyric, you would know he wrote it because he has a very Hmm. distinct way that he phrases things, that he words things, to his poetic nature. Um, His lyrics always, um, he said, like, he's more interested in painting pictures than he is telling stories. Hmm. Like a lot of times those pictures will tell stories, but he right. says he's never concerned about if his song has a beginning, middle, and end. Right. He's more concerned about um, like creating characters. And, mm. um, really describing a scene around you rather than things always having this distinct cause and effect. Yeah, the creating characters part I can really see. Well, you'll really see that once we get into some of these songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he's not, he's okay if things don't resolve. Mm. Um, you know, it's more about just m- musically, how can we create this really um, vivid picture mm-hmm. and create a character that you feel like you can connect to. Right. Just like a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so incredible, incredible relationship. They've been together since the very beginning. So I'll I'll tell you a little bit kind of how Elton John got started. So so, like, so wait, this is what you mean by he didn't write his songs all on his own. Yeah. Did he write all the music on his own? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, occasion, For the most part? occasionally members of his band would help him. Okay. And there were like there was like two or three albums out of the thirty albums he made where he used some other songwriters, mm-hmm. but he never wrote lyrics. He figured out very early on that he was quite bad at it and he mm-hmm. didn't enjoy it. And and did they um, did his band like write their own parts? Sometimes, like some of the guitar parts in some of the songs yeah. they have are pretty involved. You know? mm-hmm. but, yeah, he okay. he pretty much what he would do is he would get the the skeleton of the song together, and then he would bring the band, and we go, okay, now let's figure out like what all we're going to do together. Okay, so he would like play the song for the band first. They'd listen to it a couple times and go, okay. I'd, I'd see its verse here, then chorus, and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And then they would kind of start to brainstorm and go, okay, what can we add to it? Right. Because he said that there would be certain things that they would add that he would just be like, I had never thought to do that. Mm. Um, so he started off being in uh, just a ton of blues cover bands in the 60s. 
just mm-hmm. as, as a session, I can see it. as a session musician. Oh man, um, just playing for whoever needed a keyboard player. Mm-hmm. And during that time, he tried to write his own songs, and they failed miserably. So, so he was a he was a pianist at heart. Keyboard oh yeah, player absolutely. That's he was he, he wasn't a vocalist who decided to pick up piano. He was a no. pianist who decided to start singing. Yes. Okay. Um, like he he was hardcore. In like the academy of music, growing up, mm-hmm. like playing classical piano, mm-hmm. but then he discovered Elvis, and that changed his whole life. As as I found that so many people of that generation did, they just they all say, you know, one one listen to Elvis changed my life. We'll we'll, ha- we'll have to talk about Elvis sometime. Yeah, it's in, one part, two part, no, because <laughs> it's just it's too big to ignore for too much longer. Yeah, and to give great context to a lot of these musicians mm-hmm. um, but he eventually realized that he was never going to get anywhere being being a lyricist no being a session musician oh because he wasn't we're ever, still back there wow he he wasn't ever getting uh like with the good people so then he wanted to do his own thing, right? Mm-hmm. So and he so he started writing music. So he started writing music and tried to, you know, give it to a um, a record executive mm-hmm. to say like, hey, you know, I think I could go out on my own. Yeah. I, I feel like I've got a fairly good voice. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just I'm not the best at writing songs, but you know, I I still think that I'll be better off if I had my own space, right? And the record executive was just like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Mm. But Elton John was just like very persistent, just like, you know, hey, I can do this. And finally, just to get him to shut up and go away, he was just like, here, see if you can make any songs of these and give him Bernie's lyrics. Oh, man. Whoa. And so and that's how that happened. And so that's how they connected. He found Bernie. was just like, man, I love these words. Let's let's write some more. Yeah. And that's how that started. So. They originally, then from that point, tried to write songs for other people, mm-hmm. where you know Elton was writing all the melodies, but he wasn't recording them as himself. Mm-hmm. He was. They were trying to sell to like the, the, all the schmaltzy singers of the mid to late sixties. Uh-huh. You know, you know what I'm talking about. The yeah, in, where it's like they don't they don't write and, their own stuff, kind of. Uh huh. Yeah, just kind of almost like by contract. Yeah, and that was not going very well. And they didn't even like writing those kinds of songs anyway. Yeah, I figured. They found they weren't good at it. And so that's when they finally were just like, well, why don't we just do it ourselves? I'll sing. There you go. Uh, And he actually, he took uh, the name Elton John from two different people that were already in his, uh, that were in his previous band that he left. Mm. Elton and John. Because he was just like, Reginald Dwight will never be a (laughs) appealing name on a stage. Hmm. And so he said, how about Elton John? Which, at the time, that was a very cool name. Yeah. It's kind of like, you they're just like, what a weird name. I still consider it pretty cool. I mean... I mean, it's. I think it's come around yeah. again, but I remember, I remember El- when I was younger, people were just like, Elton John, that's such a dorky name. Man, okay. Whatever. Um, it, it almost sounds like he, he dropped his last name. Because John isn't like a last name. Either. A lot of people thought that his name sh- was supposed to be John Elton. Oh. They're just like, why Why is your name backwards? Isn't it John Elton? He's like, no, it's Elton John. 
Well, I actually know it's Reginald Dwight. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Old Reggie. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, first album came out 69, tanked. Yep. But then... Oh. <laughs> but then his, his self-titled one was actually his second okay. album, K-On 70, and that had your song on it, which ended okay. up becoming one of the biggest songs he ever wrote. Wow. And so he immediately, from there... It, it kind of took off, and then uh-huh. he, and he started writing the big he act- stuff. He actually got big in America, even though he was a British artist. Right. Got big in America first. Oh. Okay. And yeah, this was right off the end of the British invasion, wasn't it? No, we're about seven years removed from that. Oh. But it just it just happened that the kind of music he was writing was more of an American style. Hmm. And particularly, Bernie loved to write lyrics about, like, the Old West mm. and American heritage and culture. Mm-hmm. And also, it really helped that he had a big uh, show-stopping performance at the Troubadour in L.A., where a ton of, at the time, big artists came to see him. Neil Diamond okay. was there. Leon Russell was there. Uh-huh. And... Uh, the L.A. Times gave him a very, very good review. Wow. And just got the word of mouth really pumping in L.A. Mm-hmm. And so he became a big celebrity there, kind of went back to Europe and was not super well known. Right. And then over the next couple albums, just continued to get bigger and bigger, all culminating with the Goodbye Yellow Brick Road record. Uh-huh. It was that record that shot him right up to the top. Oh, are there, aren't there some... It seems like most of the songs on this list are from that album. Uh, half of them. Okay. Three is, of them. Three of six. Which is more than I normally include, because mm-hmm. I like to spread it around a little more, but the but songs... But all of them were good. The songs are just too good to ignore. Yeah. That album. Yeah, all of them were really good, so... That album is the one I enjoy listening to the most from start to finish, and it's a double album, so it's got a lot wow. of songs on it. But man... Ton. That's a full, like, what, 80 minutes? Yeah, Just on about. Vinyl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just about, yeah. But, man, most most of the songs are real winners on there. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. yeah. Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road, he... Just went right up. To, that's that had his first number one single and on that it. that was year... That was 73. 73. Wow. He Took was making four two, years. Well, he was... And he was making two records a year at that time. Wow, that's like... More than Rush so that speed. was one, two, three, four, five. It was a sixth album. Wow. And that, then, that's a, that's quite the speed. Mm-hmm. And then uh, had three, or no, he had two number one records that, that debuted at number one, uh, which was 75's. Uh, Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. Mm-hmm. That was the first ever album to debut at number one. Ever? Ever. Not even the Beatles had done it before. Wow, look at that. And then he did it on the album immediately after it, Rock of the Westies. No way! That's crazy. So, yeah, his... He kind of had a... Even though he it was his sixth album, when he finally hit big, it was still staggering. Like, four, yeah. four years after... His yeah, four years album. after he started, which tanked, he shot up to number one, debuted at number one. Oh my gosh! Wow, yeah. 
Okay. So it's an astounding career. That's a success story and right there. And then from there, it was just a series of ups and downs, mainly due to his uncontrollable cocaine addiction. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> um, like, he, every time that you would think that Elton John was out, he always made a comeback. Huh. Like, he, he dipped hard in the late 70s, early yeah. 80s, came back in the mid-80s and had a huge album that had songs like I'm Still Standing and... Guess mm-hmm. that's why they called the blues. Then tanked again, late eighties, early nineties. Mm-hmm. Then he did all the music for Lion King, and oh yeah, and was back up again in the in the whole Princess Diana thing. He was back on top again. Uh, kind of went inactive mid to late two thousands. Not inactive, but just wasn't doing as well. And now, of course, with the new Rocket Man movie out, another Oscar nomination, he's back in the consciousness mm-hmm. it's just all every time you think so he's he's still alive yeah oh yeah okay he's in the middle of his farewell tour right now okay that's been going on for i didn't months. realize he was still alive yeah he is still alive have you seen the movie rocket man i have not i don't like i don't like the music movies like bohemian rhapsody i refuse to see it because i i didn't want you know some quote-unquote fiction Thing to ruin my view of Queen, even though it's factually correct, and Brian May helped produce it. I just, I didn't want it to seem fake to me. Now, you need to watch Rocket Man because it's intentionally infactual. Oh, that's even worse. Because it's structured as a musical. Oh man! With like big dance numbers, and it's really cool. It's a really good I, movie. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. You, you check okay. it out. I mean, there are, there are a lot of your favorite correct things. your favorite band is Queen, and you're not telling me to see Bohemian Rhapsody. So no, I I'm am. actually kind of I will tell you to see Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> That's a great movie, but I'm telling you for this episode. Okay, for the sake of the episode. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, oh, I think I remember now what I could have talked about, and that's uh, Rocket Man's terrible snub at the Oscars. Not getting nominated for anything except for best original song. Oh, see, I don't watch those. <laughs> oh, I follow the Oscars every year, just like I do the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame award season. Is my thing. I, it, you know, glittering and, prizes and endless compromises. And here's the ah, oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, like, so Taron Edgerton, who played Elton John in the movie, mm-hmm. he won the Golden Globe for Best Actor. Mm-hmm. He didn't even get nominated for Best Actor for the Oscars. Hmm. How does that happen? I mean, I don't know. I'm not part of the awards thing, so I don't know. Like, That's just crazy. Probably though. different decision making. I can understand if he was you know, nominated for the Globe and then didn't get nominated, but he won the Golden Globe. Didn't get nominated for the, the Oscars. Were they, were they at very different times? No, the Golden the Globes year? were like three weeks ago. And the Oscars were? And the Oscars were, were nominated a week ago. Nomination came out a week ago. Well, maybe he didn't get nominated for the Oscars because he won a Golden Globe. No. Like, a, has lot, the, a lot of times, whoever wins the Globe is like how you predict who's going to win the Oscar. Huh. Rami Malek won it the year before for playing Freddie Mercury, and he won the Oscar. Hmm. I don't know. I don't keep up with the whole awards thing. Uh, it's, it's strange. But, and and then the things that didn't win, like for costuming, mm-hmm. there were some outrageous costumes in that movie. Because that's the kind of person that right, was. Right, um, The I can't believe it didn't win that or for set design mm-hmm. or 
um, hair and makeup. Oh yeah. Like I, like I figured it would get nominated maybe for those. I could have seen it being nominated for best picture. Mm-hmm. It's just really strange that it got that shut out. I mean, I'm not expecting it to win those things. But yeah. They seem like obvious picks. Just to get nominated. All it got nominated for, which it's going to win for, is Best Original Song, because Elton John wrote a new song for the movie to play during the end credits. Yeah. It's, it's That'd not, do it, yeah. It's not a great song, but, you know, it's it's still going to win. Yeah. It's the best song of the ones that were chosen. Yeah. Um. So that was my little um, sidetrack there, rabbit hole. <laughs> um, it's related. But Elton John just really was a unique pop star because he was someone you look at him and definitely starting out you don't see him as a pop star especially mm-hmm. not the kind of extravagant over the top pop star that he became mm-hmm. like he became like part of the glam movement when it got big yeah yeah i remember you mentioning that but mm-hmm. yeah he was a pretty flamboyant personality and and you mentioned the costumes in the movie oh yeah because uh, his wardrobe yeah. was was insane i mean his time. his little thing on spotify is him in like a Donald Duck costume or something. And yeah, no, when when I'm listening to Spotify on mobile and I and I pull, you know, him up as an artist and it just kind of shows the the whatever. Yeah, you can pull out your phone and, and see it, but he's in like that's a not the thing that I remember. He's in like a uh is it Donald Duck or Daffy Duck? Whichever one is from Mickey Mouse and whatever. This? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you're actually listening to a song. But um no, he pulled up the actual artist hmm. but um and he's in front of he's like in some event uh some um festival and he's out in front of a bunch of people and playing piano or whatever um but anyway he looks very different in that costume than he does in his usual kind of like rose colored glasses yeah you know? his, his fashion has has tamed down as he's gotten older yeah in the 70s golly he played stuff that like impeded his ability to play they were so insane <laughs> um, wow. and you know he's just he's such an anomaly mm-hmm. just the way he looked and the way he sounded and the way he wrote music he oh, was a, sure. he was a one of a kind yep um he really he really elevated pop songwriting mm-hmm. he kind of took where kind of really picked up where the beatles left off yeah yeah, I Just can that, see that. That very eclectic, but very, at the same time, very accessible, very simple. Um, just and here always, we go into ghosts. <laughs> all, all <laughs> taking from all these different yeah. styles and places and inspirations and putting it all together. In, in not, you know, a terrible montage of badness. Yeah. And I don't re- know how to say that. <laughs> and really bringing the piano to the forefront of... Rock and roll. Yeah, that was... pop music. That was noticeable because, you know, he is a pianist and he's the vocalist. He's the front man, but he's behind a piano mm-hmm. all the time. And I can't think of any time before that where that was true. Well, there it was big in the 50s. Like, you've got, you know, Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis, Ray Charles. Okay, there you go. But in the 60s, that didn't really happen. Right and definitely not in a rock and roll sense. Because because in the sixties you had all the all the guitar rock yes. happening. Uh huh. You know, and if you had a keyboard player, he, he was at the back, and it was a typically a keyboard and not a 
true piano. There's a Hammond, some kind of Leslie speaker. Yeah. Wurlitzer or Mellotron, that type of stuff. And so, um, you know, Elton John was kind of the first since those original guys. And those are the guys that inspired him. Mm -hmm. He loved Little Richard and Mm -hmm. uh, all of those early artists that played the piano. And so he really just kind of showed how you can be still an outrageous frontman while also being a piano player. He originally was just like, this was the hardest thing in the world because it's the it's the least sexy instrument to be playing. <laughs> because you just you have to be sitting at the bench and yeah. he just he really um, got creative with yeah. how he could put on a show while still being behind that piano. Yeah, it's true. The outfits, the, the really outfits helped. and 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 then of course like also having the rest of the band there mm-hmm. and his vocals, the stuff that he would do live, I can imagine, yeah. are probably pretty interesting. Let's talk about the band for a second. Yeah, okay. Because That's he good. actually had, uh, this was something I learned in the research that I did for him, is that his band stuck with him for most of his career and is still with him on this very Oh, before. I'm sure, yeah. The thing is, is what surprised me is that normally artists like that, that it's just their name, mm-hmm. they tend to kind of rotate through. They just they get whoever's hot at the time, you know, using session musicians, right. touring musicians. Ozzy does that. Yeah. Yep. So it's not like this usually like very loyal, steadfast, but Elton John had it. I didn't know that about him. Hmm. So um, now he doesn't have his bass player because he died. Right. You know, his name was Dean okay. Murray. Uh, very good bass player. Uh, Nigel Olsen was his drummer and is still mm-hmm. his drummer. Uh, and then Davy Johnson on electric guitar. Uh, okay. He he actually got him a little bit later. He got him uh, during the Honky Chateau hmm. record, which is the one that came right before Yellow Brick Road. So he played on Rocket Man and Saturday Nights, all right. But he didn't play on stuff like Tiny Dancer and okay. Your Song or anything like that. So, but yeah, I mean... At, those guys are still with him, which just again that that surprised me because normally those kinds of artists they have a revolving door of musicians, right? Yeah, and so it's really cool to see that those guys have stayed with him and that he's stayed loyal to them. I mean, the music is is crazy in the sense that it's like you have to be really tight. Yep. You no, know, you you can't just you know in the case of Ozzy Osbourne, you can't just like make the song better by like switching out a guitarist because the guitarist in Elton John's band, you know, has to be in time with the drummer and the bassist and Elton himself and all the moving parts have to fit together. Mm-hmm. And, and anyway, I, I could just imagine that of course he's going to want to stay with these guys. I mean, they're his guys, you know, he started he, with them. He wrote with them and he's fired and rehired them over the years. <laughs> But you know they always, he always apologizes and brings them back. Oh man, on again, off again. Yep. <laughs> again, the, the late seventies were a particularly dark time for Elton John. Oh, well, he just came off that great success, I'm sure. Yeah, and found that the cocaine was just too much. A little too much, yeah. Yeah. Um. So we'll go ahead and take a break here, and when we come back, we'll go ahead and start uh, dissecting some of these songs. So stay tuned.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We are talking about Elton John, Sir Elton John. Yes. In this episode. And it is time to talk about the songs that we've picked. So, Grant, if someone is listening to us for the very first time, (laughs) what is the point of us talking about some songs? So, these songs were picked by Lucas, and they're put in this particular order um, to have a certain arc to them, a certain musical arc and kind of an emotional arc. And they're not necessarily Elton John's greatest songs or Lucas's favorite songs, um, but they're still a really good representation of what Elton John's music is. And so for a first-time listener, this would be something to start off with and listening all the way through would kind of provide a little bit of a musical story. And even if you've heard these songs before... It'd be good for you to listen to them in the order that they are so that you can experience that with those of, you know, you guys who haven't listened to them before. Um, And one of those people would be me. Um, And there's a link in the description of the podcast that goes to a Spotify playlist with these songs in there. So feel free to go look at that and uh, listen to the songs. So I guess without further ado should get to the first song which is funeral for a friend slash love lies bleeding yes and uh this monstrous song to start with it's really long and um when lucas first put this song on for me to listen to he said just to get you ready for what's going to happen dream theater covered this song and so for some reason i was expecting like really technical like piano riffage and you know kind of stuff and it wasn't there you know because it's elton john but i still see what you mean like i dream theater probably had a lot of fun covering this song because there's a lot of little minutiae in there Mm -hmm. you know that was actually the first time i ever heard the song was dream theater's version Hmm. and i thought it was one of their songs Hmm. and i was and then i learned that um that section of the album was all covers but I still didn't know it was Elton John. And then I finally was reading in the album liners, and it said, Funeral for a Friend Loves Not Being by Elton John. I was just like, what? They did They did the, They did did the. both songs as a cover. Yep. Okay. They did the whole 11-minute thing. Because yep. they also, on that, they did a Deep Purple song. They did a Led Zeppelin medley. Mm-hmm. And then they did, a, like, a super medley with um, Pink Floyd, Queen, Journey, Genesis. Oh, that would be fun. That was a, that was a great medley. Um, um, this song kind of starts off kind of low. Yeah, so it's, the, it's, it's the funeral part. And it's got, for a friend and there's like a section. bell in the distance or something, and there's like mm-hmm. some wind going around. It's really atmospheric. Yeah. And the first part of the song, that funeral for a friend part of the song, there's a lot of different musical changes. Mm-hmm. And um, you almost can't tell when it's going to switch to, you know, Love Lies Bleeding, mm-hmm. because it's it's a... It's a stream of consciousness, sort of. For me, it starts yeah. after the the chromatic walk up and down, and then when it goes, yeah. And for me, yeah, that's in my mind when "Love Lies Bleeding" begins because that that's when the 
that's the point when it reoccurs in that section through the song. Right. And um, when I first heard that, it sounded like something off of Use Your Illusion, you mm-hmm. know, because they're all major chords. Yep. You know, and that's something that GNR would do a lot. Um, and then also there's I think there's a reprise somewhere in there. and I can never pinpoint what it was a reprise of. But when the guitar comes in, it's kind of slow with the drums. Yep, it's, it's reprising the, uh, yep. the, when the piano, then the grand piano first comes in. The bum, bum, ba-da-da-da-dum, dum, bum, That's what it is. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So this is where you really see his classical upbringing mm-hmm. coming up because the whole instrumental section before Love Lies Beating, that's totally classical music structure. Yeah, it's uh, recapitulation. It's the way that he's, you know, constructing all of these parts, mm-hmm. especially when that guitar comes back in for the reprisal. Mm-hmm. That's so classical music. That, oh, and it was so good. Too. I know, like when, especially when you realize that that's what it's reprising, then you're just like, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish that Elton John wrote more songs like this. Yeah. Because it's just, he did such a good job of it. Mm-hmm. And I could tell that because this was on a double album that he had the space to really make a song like yeah. this. And it's just musically, this is so satisfying. And, yeah. And the rest of the band is just really on point. Oh, I can, I can imagine. I mean, as a guitarist, listening to Love Lies Bleeding, it, oh my gosh, it seems so fun to play, but... This is a song I yeah. want to play in a, with mm-hmm. the band yeah. so badly. And, and well, and, and all that aside, you know, the first time you listen to this song, it, it's kind of jarring at first. I mean, mm-hmm. when I first listened to it, it was a little weird. You I know? could tell that you kind of didn't fully get it the first time. But it, it quickly became one of my more favorite songs of this set. It was almost my favorite one. This is my favorite Elton John song ever. Okay. There you go. You heard it here. Yeah. It so is his favorite song. So let's talk about the Love Lies Bleeding part of the song. Right. Okay. So now that we're done with Funeral for a Friend. And also, it's, just to mention, this is the song that opened the the Goodbye Yelpic Road album. Okay. So there you, go. you put on this album, this is the first thing you hear. Um, but anyway, this this part is kind of high energy. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it would definitely be something that, you know, would get everybody kind of rocking, kind of dancing a little bit. Yeah. Um, and the guitar parts are pretty involved. The piano parts pretty involved. The I whole love, band is involved. I love the little thing they do in the chorus. The Where, bah, 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 bah. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. In in right right before. Well, I guess it is in the chorus. Yeah, it's they do it in between uh, the first two sections of the chorus. Yeah, and then the last time he says. You know, love lies bleeding in my hands, and then there's a little guitar riff right there. And it, it reminds me of um, Blue, Oyster, Blue Oyster Cult, yeah. something that they would do. Yeah. You know, you know the, cow, the cowbell very, song. Very Don't Fear the Reaper. It's very Don't Fear, don't fear the Reaper. Um, but it it just reminded me of that. It wasn't that he was stealing from that at all. Well, no, this came out first. But... Um, yeah, well, okay. Blue, uh, there you Don't go. Kill the Reaper was like 77. But it's, it's still in my head reminded me of that. Yeah. But um, it was a similar chord structure too. And then yeah. somehow it wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that's seeing that they're reversed. It's kind of a testament to Blue Oyster Cult, I guess. But um, Or maybe it's just a testament to Elton John not being, you know, repeatable. 
Yeah. So I think so. Yeah. My my son loves this song. Okay. And it's <laughs> amazing because he will listen to the entire eleven minute thing. Wow. And does he really have that much patience? And he knows the whole <laughs> he knows the whole chorus. It's well, I mean, so, all it is is, you know, love lies bleeding in my hands with a couple extra lines. Hearing him say, so I split the beans <laughs> is the funniest thing ever. Oh, and man. he always he always puts his hands, so I split the beans. <laughs> and it's just hearing him pronounce all the words is just hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, I can imagine. But, um, but yeah, I love this song partially because I really grew to love the Dream Theater version and listen to that version over and over and over again. Just thinking again, mm-hmm. it was original composition mm-hmm. of theirs because they also add like little things in it to kind of Dream Theater it up, but really not that much. Mm-hmm. I was when I learned it was an Elton John song, I was just like, holy crap! I, maybe they're like really beefing the song up, mm-hmm. and then I heard the original, I was just like. Okay, actually, most of it is unchanged. It's yeah. just it's just happens to be a song that they were really inspired by and mm-hmm. modeled a lot of their structure after. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I thought originally was going to put a different song at the beginning because I thought maybe this song would be too challenging for a first oh, I episode. Th- I think, mm. But then I thought about it and I was just like. I need to put this on here. I mean, yeah. Well, he opened his one of his biggest albums with this song. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, can't be that bad. I think that it was the best possible way to start the set. Yeah. I think it was a great way to showcase how good his band was, yep. to show how great of a pure piano player he is, how great of a songwriter and arranger he is, right. and then also you get a, your first taste of the pop side of him with the Love Lies Bleeding. Oh, Love Lies Bleeding is Great One of the catchiest choruses you ever wrote, I think. Ooh, yeah. So, um, from there, so we have this big, monstrous opening song. Yes. And then we kind of need to catch our breath a little yeah. bit. So, it, it kind of tones down for the next song, Leave On. Leave On. Which, actually, when I read it out loud to myself, I was like, oh, Levin, you know? Levin. But, but then I remembered... That's not how he actually pronounces it. You know, it's got to be leave on. Mm-hmm. Um, and this song lyrically totally messes with me. I tried to keep myself from looking up the lyrics, but mm-hmm. I had to look up the lyrics and it made it even harder to determine the meaning. Um, but it's something about, I, I don't even know. I feel like leave on's not a real name and it's just novel spelled backwards and he's well, no, trying to like make it. It's absolutely of- a real name. Levon Helm was the um, was the drummer and singer for the band. That that's actually what the band was called, the band. They were a very big group in the late sixties, early seventies. They started mm-hmm. off as Bob Dylan's backing band and then became their own band. So because it was Bob Dylan and the band. Okay. And so they were just like, Well, we'll just get rid of the Bob Dylan part and we'll just be the band. <laughs> And they were one of the most influential bands on Elton John. Okay, and, so they and would Bernie because they drew a lot from them lyrically and musically. So would it be about him? No, but okay. I think they just that's their it's a tribute to him. So they just stole the name and created a character. I think that there's not necessarily a meaning to this song, kind of like how I was saying earlier. I think it was more about 
just like showing you this character and what his life was like. Right. Okay. Because that's what Bernie likes to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was less about trying to say something specific as just like, this is a person, here's his life. There might be parts of it that you connect with, um, you know, very much painting what someone in the late 60s would have been like, mm -hmm. wearing his war wounds like a crown. Mm -hmm. That's very much a World War II mm -hmm. veteran thing. Um, you know, calls his child Jesus. That's a very hippie movement thing to do. You know, when people, like you can tell that when someone was born during the flower power era, because mm -hmm. they've got the strangest names like Sunshine and Moonbeam. Like <laughs> saying, like saying, naming your kid Jesus. Because you like the name. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's, that's apt. Because that was also during the, um, um, the Jesus freak mm -hmm. era where, you know, it's like, all of these crazily homeless people that are just like, you know, if you're going to follow Jesus, you got to sell your home and have no money and live on the streets and you can't trust the government and, you know, all that stuff. So I think he was just – he was painting a portrait of a man of the time. Okay. Because this was on the Mad Man Across the Water album, which came out in 71. Mm-hmm. And – I just I think that he was just like kind of just saying you know this is this is the man of the of now mm -hmm. and you know he he is what he is he shall be leave on that's that's just it mm -hmm. he he is him there's no moral to the story there's no um there's no hmm. deeper meaning to it. This is just, this is who he is. And I think that's why I love this song so much. It's just, it simply is what it is. Huh. Yeah, I, I would say I really like this song. I mean, every time I would go back and listen to specific songs in this set list, that would be one that I would try to listen to, you know, well, as I was walking somewhere. Melodically, this song is so satisfying. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. Um, just a vocal melody. I mean, mm -hmm. when I think melodically, I think like, you know, the instrumental melody, like the this, vocal melody is great. This is one of the best vocal melodies I think he ever wrote. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's got, and his performance as well, so much emotion in it. And the tone is just right on his voice. And um, when he hits that big, he shall be leave on at the, at the end, end of the chorus. chorus. That just oh, makes you feel so man. good. And it's, it's a, bunch of weird suspensions that aren't in the form of chords mm -hmm. you know he'll he'll drop from the dominant four to the major third which i'm getting into music theory but hey that's that's, that's what that's I like, suspension. I'm, not, I'm not a music theory guy you know so. okay so let's pretend the song's an e right so mm -hmm. if you're gonna play e a and b that's a sus four yeah and then if you drop that a to a g sharp which is just down a half step that that kind of a resolution there, and he does that at and he shall, mm -hmm. right? He does that um, for the first part of that line, and then the next part of the line is kind of another one of those, mm -hmm. um, just in a different, you know, manner. Um, and so I guess that's kind of why it's really satisfying. It's because it's two suspensions, you know, with yeah. the, with just the root note in the middle, and then the, it's the music that resolves it. Yeah, yeah. No, and yeah, because he the vocal melody because he'll end on the five, which is mm. a resolution right back to the one. Uh huh. And so, even I don't know if he meant to do that. 
Oh, I, I, but, no, I know he did because he, okay. he, he got all that training. He had all that background. Oh, right, because he was a classical... He's classically trained. Right, okay. So he, he absolutely, I think, knew what he was doing. Okay. Um, I forget about that. Also, the string arrangement in this song is really... Yeah. ...is really good. And I wanted to just throw out a little fun fact about it. Okay. I can't remember the guy that arranged it, but apparently he had... Um, written all of the arrangements for that whole album. Mm -hmm. And there's quite a bit on it. Mm -hmm. And he accidentally threw it away. (gasps) No! But in one day, rewrote it from memory. Wow. Because they were going to record it the next day. Oh, man. Okay. And so I remember Elton John, because I wrote, I read his uh, autobiography in preparation for this episode. So mm-hmm. I'm like full to the teeth of knowledge. Oh boy. <laughs> he said that he was just like, this guy was an absolute madman, but at the same time, he was such a genius that he could lose all of that work and be able to replicate it exactly from memory. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, the string section in this song is quite good. It adds a nice little texture. Yeah, yeah. It. I, I wouldn't say it took the forefront because it never made me go, oh, there's strings here. You know, because I was always focused on, you know, this is the artist mm-hmm. Elton John. I was always focused on the piano and the vocals and trying to, you know, <laughs> except for Love Lies Bleeding. I mean, the, the as, a, as a guitarist, I kind of yeah. gravitated towards you oh, know, yeah. guitar and drums. And, uh-huh. But I would say, yeah, I mean, the strings section didn't at all subtract from, um, you know, Elton John and his way of doing everything with just the piano and the vocals and the mm-hmm. band adding to it, right? Yeah. Um, so I think, I guess the, the string arrangement was, it served its purpose. Yeah. For lack of a better way of explaining that. I guess that was a that was a really convoluted way of saying, you know, the strings just served their purpose. Yeah. But. So we have this down, yet at the same time, very powerful and emotional song. So mm-hmm. from there, um, we head to... Benny and the Jets. Yes. If I remember correctly. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, this song sounds like it's live. It's not, though. I know. Because you don't hear the audience in a lot of the parts, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there's no way to possibly completely drown out the audience. And so, therefore, there's no way it's live. Yeah. But it sounds like it. Yeah. So they that audience is from a Jimi Hendrix show. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I know. Really random. So, and they even, like intentionally like created effects to where you hear the echo and the clapping because the mm. clapping was not from a show they did that in the studio and they just added like reverb mm. on it and they intentionally would like clap out of rhythm on times just to like mimic british audiences that they said were notorious for being terrible clappers <laughs> okay and oh, wow. um like they painstakingly went to trying to replicate this sound it worked. Um, they did it. Yeah. It really adds a really cool dimension because the song would have been very dry without that mm-hmm. that live sound to it. Mm-hmm. It would have been a very simple song. It would have still been a great song, but oh, yeah. I think it elevates it to that yeah. just extra little special sauce. Yeah. So this was Elton John's first number one single. Okay. And he fought tooth and nail against it being released as a single because he didn't like the song very much. Really? And he thought it would, could never be a single. And the mm. record executives were just like, I'm telling you, Elton, 
this will be a big hit for you. And it is. And he was just like, he's done that multiple times. He's pressed for songs that should never have been singles, and he's fought against songs that ended up becoming the biggest songs of his career. Mm. So he's kind of tended to not really know what's best for him (laughs) in that regard. Well, I mean, he just kind of writes the music. He's good at writing the music. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the crazy thing, though, is that it went not only to the number one on the normal charts, but also went to the number one on the R&B soul chart. Hmm. Which back at that time was just called Black Radio, mm-hmm. and he was just like, I'm, he's like, I know I'm not the first white guy to do it, but he's like, but I'm pretty sure I'm like the first British guy to do it. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Okay. <laughs> and so he was just like, you know, he was on Soul Train, and yeah, and it was just like, you know, this nerdy white dude with, with extravagant the, yeah clothes and glasses and. It's just like he was just like I definitely felt very out of place, but at the same time I was I was very grateful that <laughs> they liked my song. Yeah, and I hadn't heard this song in a while, you know, before we listened to it, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know, because you put in the the aux and whatever, so I couldn't read what the song was on the radio, uh-huh. and I didn't know what it was until there's just that little piano. Dunk. I'm like, I know what this song is. It's hey. Benny and the Jets, and yep. uh, it's it. Somehow it's recognizable. Yeah. It was, this is one of the biggest songs he ever yeah. released. And yeah, the piano playing is what's really center stage of this whole song. Between the, It's kind of rhythmic. It's very rhythmic. You really... I, I can't tell if there's any guitar in the song. It's, I didn't notice If any. it is, it's very buried. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely a, a piano-based drum song. Mm-hmm. And even then, there's not much going on in the bass and drums. It is very piano driving the song in the vocals, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He really sings high in this song, too. Oh, yeah. No, he shows off his range mm-hmm. with this one, which, which the other songs were kind of in like a mid-range, kind of like normal. But this song, he goes way up when he says, Benny in the... I'm not even going to try to do it, you know, in the chorus. You know, I read it in a magazine. I'm doing an octave lower. Yeah. I, I can go up that high, but I don't want to hurt yeah. you guys' ears. Yeah. <laughs> um, too loud. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this is just such a fun song. It's got it's got such a bounce to it. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I'm, it's a good thing it got released because it gave him his first number one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um we fade out from that song and we take a big step up from here for our fourth song. Now, I'm I'm blanking on what the fourth song is. Saturday night. Saturday night. night. For yes. Um this is a song that when I first heard it, I heard the Nickelback cover of it. God, I feel sorry for you. No, it's actually really good. I still feel sorry for you. It's actually really good. And I wouldn't go so far as to say that the Nickelback version is better. But for a long time, I would, um, because when I first heard this version, I was like, "Oh, it's kind of like old and lame." But, but, well, that was okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, keep in mind this is back when I was like fifteen. Okay, so the the oldest stuff I would listen to is like Van Halen one. I know. So, I'm just, it's the way you said it. It's it's lame and old. Okay. 
okay, but but I think the piano adds a lot to the song and just the way that Elton John like phrases certain oh, words. Man, his he, this song shows that he has an incredible rock and roll voice. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. he it bites on this song. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it's got a very it has a searing quality to it and it's just like you can it doesn't sound like someone that is trying to sound rock and roll because mm-hmm. he his normal voice is not very rock and roll he's got a great mm-hmm. ballad pop voice mm-hmm. but man just this song shows that he was able to turn it on yeah I'm really surprised you did not put this at the first position mm-hmm. because it is kind of just like a get you riled up song and it's it's got the music for that and it's got the lyrics for that yeah so the whole song's about bar fights yeah yeah um and of course they use it for wwe or something right oh i'm sure some or I would U- be surprised U- they did. ucf or that's a college so the first time that i ever heard this song and this is the funniest thing in the world mm-hmm. was jack black singing it at the Nick Choice Awards on Nickelodeon. Oh, my gosh. But instead of Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, he would say Saturday Night's All Right for Sliming. No. No. Don't take me back to the dark times of Nickelodeon. That was the golden era. It was not the golden era. Come on. Oh, my gosh. That was... That was during the initial run of SpongeBob and Fairly Odd Parents, Invader Zim, Rocket Power, Hey the Arnold. S- the slime stuff, man. I can't I can't do it the whole kids' choice awards stuff. Yeah. Uh but yeah, that was I'm because I remember that that I didn't remember much of the other much of the song, but I just I, that Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. That, yeah. that line always like stuck with me. Cause I remember thinking because I School of Rock had just come out. This was why he was hosting it. Oh, right. Okay. And, you know, and I had seen that movie. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, oh, cool. It's the School of Rock guy. Mm-hmm. He's singing this cool rock and roll song. Mm-hmm. And there's that Saturday Saturday thing always stuck with me. But mm-hmm. it was a long time before I heard the Elton John version. Mm. It was actually when it was on Rock Band 3. Wow. And, and I remember seeing the title and going... I think this is the 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 Jack Black slime song, mm-hmm. but he doesn't sing that part till the very end of the song. And so I was listening to him, I was just like, maybe it's not this song. And then it gets to the end, and he started. I was just like, ah, there it is. That's mm-hmm. the part I remember. Yep. Anyway, um, this song there's there's energy to it, mm-hmm. um, and I, I don't I don't want to say it's simple. But it is compared to, you know, like, especially Funeral for a Friend. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's, like you said, it's like kind of his rock and roll side, kind of simplifying things without making it seem dull mm-hmm. and boring. You can tell, and this is where you can really see how the music is impacted by what he sees in the lyrics. Yeah. Because he's, he's uh-huh. seeing the lyrics first that's, and going, that's right. what's a sound that's going to best fit the lyrics that he's writing? Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, a, a snarling rock and roll song is going to be the perfect thing for oh, yeah. lyrics that are just talking about getting yeah. drunk and getting violent. Yeah. But um, so that's a that's a classic. Um, and from there, I guess we go into the next song. Yeah. Which unless there's anything else you want to say about this one. No. Nope. Um, it's um, Rocket Man. 
Rocket Man. How did I forget that? This is my favorite song of the list. Yeah, this is the one that came on when we were listening to it, and you were all of a sudden just like, She pang my baby. Yeah, as soon as soon as. No, because um, the first time I heard the name of this song, it was from High School Musical, you know, because there was the character Rocket Man. Hmm. And then I was watching The Big Bang Theory, and Wallowitz wanted to be called. Rocket Man, so he had that at his as hmm. his uh, ringtone. I never watched that show. And then I and that's when I first heard it. But w- my best friend from high school, we would ride around in his truck to go places. We go to Guitar Center or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the songs that we would frequently listen to because he was big into like seventies and eighties pop music, mm-hmm. and we both knew, or at least thought we knew all the words, and would try to sing along to it at the top of our voices. And so this song, just because of that, just because of the memories and the fun times associated with it, it's mm-hmm. my favorite song on the list. Yeah, um, it's it's definitely one of the best ones. And it's also just a well-written song. Yeah. You know, so there's a lot of high harmonies, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's just, there's, there's an atmospheric tone to kind of the second verse mm-hmm. as well that adds a little bit of... You know, when the when the band drops out, yeah, and mm-hmm. Mars ain't the kind of place to raise your kids, yeah. yeah that and there's whole, that kind of guitar like delay weird thing going so on. So this yeah. was the first album with Davy Johnson on the electric guitar. Okay, and before then he had never played an electric guitar before. He always played acoustic guitar. Mm. And so like the rest of the band was just kind of like, are you sure you want to bring this guy in to be our electric guitar player? He doesn't play electric guitar. Mm-hmm. And for some, and Elton John was just like, I think he can do it. And mm-hmm. he said immediately from the gate, he just, because electric guitar is not his normal realm, mm-hmm. that he was immediately able to go to these really unique places and come up with these mm. cool ideas. Like he said, all of the, the guitar sounds on Rocket Man, he was just like, I don't know how he was thinking of these things and hmm. just like really putting just the right things in at the right place yep yeah. it's not a very electric guitar driven song and rather it's just mm-hmm. more almost like a soundscape yeah like he's create like he's almost like if you were to put a shooting star into a sound yeah and then there's kind of just some strumming at the beginning of the chorus mm-hmm. you know which kind of lets you know this is the chorus, you know. Yeah, it's a super slow song, but it's I love just the bass valid, line that they, they do right before the chorus. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yep. D. Murray, great bass playing. Um, and again, this is another just one of those songs where Bernie just did a really good job of. Again, he's not telling a story; he's just he's mm-hmm. just showing you what this guy's like. Mm-hmm. And it's a really, it was a really good take on the astronaut space song because a lot of those were being written because you know '69 was the first moon landing, right? And that was a a very popular topic, but no one was. What is that music? Oh, I don't know. It's it. Somebody's listening to music in the other room, so yeah. the listeners can probably hear it. But um, yeah, your, your dad's at it again. Yeah, oh god. <laughs> I'll, I'll text him real quick. Um, but yeah, so from what I understand is that this song is kind of like about somebody who's addicted to like narcotics or something. I don't think so. Uh, I think cause drugs hadn't entered their lives at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually, and this really surprised me when I found out he didn't get into drugs until like after Yellow Brick Road hit it big. Mm. 
Which this was before then. Yeah. Okay. This is the album before. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly think that he was Bernie was looking almost like an astronaut's kind of like the modern cowboy, mm-hmm. just destined to be alone and to right. be in the new frontier. Mm-hmm. Um, just talking about like the the reality of what it's like to be an astronaut. Yeah. You know? Um, the the mundaneness of it, the the isolation, the separation, the the always feeling you're disconnected from what's really important. Right. And I just always thought it was a very unique and interesting take on that uh, on that subject. When everyone else is talking about, I'm out in space, look at the stars, I'm floating around, right. you know, get in my rocket ship and go fast. That's that's true, because the second verse is kind of sad. Yeah. You know, you really feel alone, mm-hmm. you know? That's, that's crazy. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I I've just, just made that mental connection, like emotional mental connection. Wow! I love, I love those moments. Man, I love this song even more now. No way. Okay, I just had a, I just had a big brain moment. So yeah, big brain. I'm gonna have to recover from that. Wow. Um, well, okay. let's, let's go ahead and move on to <laughs> the final song on our set. The final song, which, no surprise, to be honest, is Tiny Dancer. Yeah, so this, I actually didn't get to uh, see you listen to this song. Yeah. Had you heard it before? Yeah, because I watched The Office. Um, Where was it in The Office? It was at the end of the episode of Chili's, I think. I haven't watched that episode Something in so long. Something like that. But I'm pretty sure it was on The Office because I. It was about the time that my sister was getting in big into The Office, and I walked into um, her watching whatever show it was, and it probably was The Office, and they were playing that song. I found that most people know the chorus of the song, but they don't know the other parts of the song. Like everyone knows the "Hold Me Closer" time to dance. Yeah, and that would be that would be me. Um, as well as everyone always jokes that it should be "Hold Me." Closer, uh, Tony Danza. <laughs> I hear a lot of people sing that. One. Wow! Either on accident or on purpose. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, who's Tony Danza? He was a TV actor in the seventies and eighties. Okay. There you go. Um, but this song, I didn't realize how long. Oh, yeah. It's a six-minute song. Yeah, and it's only got, like, two verse-chorus sections. I know. It's because... And I really love how this song is structured because it Mm -hmm. kind of takes you in a linear direction. Yeah. It it gradually builds. Yeah, and then then it takes you back to the beginning of it and lets it grow again. Mm -hmm. And then it just keeps going and keeps going for the final chorus repetition, which which doesn't get old, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So Um, this this was a song that was actually uh, written about Bernie at that time because mm. you know they made it big in LA mm-hmm. so Blue Jean Baby LA Lady mm-hmm. was about a woman named Maxine that he had fallen in love with in mm-hmm. LA and so the song's about her and about kind of discovering their new romance and mm-hmm. uh, just about what love was like in LA in 1970 yeah okay so it's like it's a love song yeah it, it is Aww, a love song wow um, you know, talking about Jesus freaks out in the street, 
Mm. You know, just about how whenever love is new and it's real, just, you know, kind of talking about just, you know, I'm lying here, it's only you and you can feel me. Yeah. And just, yeah. So that's that's basically what it is, but it's written in such a a beautiful way. And mm-hmm. just talking about, you know, you you married a music man, just saying how that's naturally a, a more complex relationship because of all all of the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, huh. Okay. I thought that I thought that song was like. I don't. I don't. Well, I kind of want to say I thought that song was like about prostitution. To be honest. Nope. Wow. It was, it was about his his first wife. First wife. Yeah. That's unfortunate. I mean, everyone has a first wife in that business. <laughs> yeah. Um. But okay. But, that's nice. Yeah, that's I, good and wholesome. I felt I felt that this would be a great song to close with. It is. It's just it's a great kind of like bring it on home. It sounds like a closer song. Yeah. It's written like a closer song. But it's actually the album opener on the album it's on. No. But I mean, oh I my guess gosh, it, it kind of works as an album opener. I don't see it. But also in that time, a lot of those types of albums you wanted to put like your big single at the beginning. Because it's what mm. you kind of sell the album on. Oh. Like, you know, Elton John's self-titled one, uh, Your Song is the first song on the album. Even though it doesn't really work as a first song, mm. it's because it's it's the big song on the album. Ah. Okay. That makes sense. I mean... Con- and it wasn't until... Yeah. It wasn't until Thinking. Elton John got bigger and he could kind of dictate how he wanted the albums to be put together that he stopped doing it that way. So is, is that an early artist thing, or was that just during that time period? Uh, it, was, it was kind of an early artist. It, it started to change at around that time. Mm-hmm. So so artists in their early careers nowadays wouldn't do that. Or, for example, like the 80s and 90s. I mean, a lot of times still. like You want to you give your listener the best first Best foot forward. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of albums where the big song is the first one on the album, even if it yeah. should be or not, just because it's it's going to be the best way to hook you into listening to the rest of the album. Right. You don't yeah. want you don't want to put a forgettable song at the beginning because then people won't want to keep listening. Well, you got to put an opener at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So but if you whatever. can if you can make your big single also a great opener, then that's the best of both worlds. There you go. Or you can do what Elton John did on Yellow Brick Road and just put this crazy, classical, sweet pop song at the beginning of your album. Yeah. And still sell a bajillion copies. Yeah. 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 How much money has he made from that? Oh, I don't know. Is it, a lot. Is it, in, is it in the hundreds of millions? He's made hundreds of millions total for sure. Okay. I'd say he... Uh, don't say don't, billion. No, okay. <laughs> no. There's only one, maybe two billion dollar earning mus- people in the music business. I, Paul the McCartney. One, he's the one that I'm unsure about. Oh, okay. I think he might have, but I can't remember. Surely by now. And the, but the other one is Andrew Lloyd Webber, who is he's a the most famous Broadway composer. Uh, that would do it. Like okay. He wrote Phantom of the Opera. 
and Cats and just all of the ones that like stayed in Broadway for like decades because of course you know his music he's he's getting paid every time a show is played right yep so that'll do it yeah he's he's made over a billion dollars mm-hmm. well Elton John still has got a lot of money yep <laughs> uh, well I guess that wraps up this section so yep. uh, when we come back we'll talk about the bonus song and then we'll give our final thoughts so stay tuned Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just talked about our six Elton John songs, and we're ready to talk about our bonus song and our final thoughts. So, bonus song, for those of you who've never uh, listened to this podcast before, our bonus song is a related artist or an artist of the same genre, or somehow this artist is related to um, the main artist, but they don't necessarily deserve, I should say, their own episode. Um, well, and I mean, they maybe don't deserve. Not that, it. that I sounds so mean. I don't, okay, I couldn't come up with a word. Okay, um, they don't. We're not going to give them their own episode yeah. for one reason or another. We won't give them their own episode. <laughs> maybe they do deserve it, but we're just wrathful against them. Um, and this song. Um, I think you sent to me today. Yeah. Yeah, so I didn't have much time to listen to it. I, that's okay. I've listened to this song many, many times. But, um, yeah. No, this there was a lot of weird kind of modal changes in the chorus of this song. But anyway, the song is um, the, the Lonely Boy. Lonely Boy by Andrew Gold. By Andrew Gold. There you go. So there's not really any personal connection to Ellen John, but it's more just it's a piano-driven song. It's mm-hmm. kind of the same singer-songwriter. And I've always just really loved this song. And it's, you know, Andrew Gold was not a very popular... I would say his biggest claim to fame is he wrote the theme song, I think, to Golden Girls. Thank you for, <laughs> thank you for being a friend song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really hope that it actually is Golden Girls. I didn't just sound like an idiot. Because <laughs> um, I think that's what it was. But my dad was the one that always uh, would play this song. Mm-hmm. And that was one of his favorite songs. Mm-hmm. And said that it was just a song that he really connected with. Mm-hmm. And this is just a really pleasant song. The piano was really good in this song. Oh, yeah. no, Really yeah. good. And it, it's a clean mix, too. Like, you can hear everything. It's very clear. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering what year is this? This was... I want to say this was mid seventies. Hmm. I'm not quite sure on for mid seventies. It's really here's good. the thing, and this is what you're going to really learn, and you're going to find this out in one of the artists we're going to talk about in a couple weeks. Okay, there is really really good sounding seventies music, mm-hmm. and there's really bad seventies. <laughs> oh music. yeah, that's true. Um, the seventies is when they, I think, they really figured out how instruments should be recorded mm-hmm. and liked. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, one the one of the ones that we just actually finished listening to, mm-hmm. the second artist that we looked at, mm-hmm. uh, that's an example of a band that knew how to get their stuff sounding yep. real good in and, the 70s. And, and this artist, too, um, because the piano is very clear, all the other I, I did not focus on it, what other instruments there are, but I know there's bass, I know there's drums, um, and there's Probably a little bit of guitar in there too, mm-hmm. but it, it is a piano-driven song, and so your your mind is taken to the piano, and it's also taken to the vocal melody, um, and then there's also a little bit of 
kind of a story that goes on, mm-hmm. a little bit of parallelism yeah. um, that happens with the lyrics. Um, and it's also, I guess it's interesting to note, I was listening to it actually on the way here to record, um, and I noticed in the chorus, he ends every line, every time he says a lonely boy, he ends on the same note. But it feels differently because of the chords that are moving underneath, Ooh, you know. And so, and, th- and that's a little bit of kind of like, you know, you wouldn't really notice that if you weren't looking for it. But I, I kind of just, I don't know. I don't know what made me notice that. But it was um, see, that's the the perspective I like to have, like to hear. Okay, yeah. Well, that's that's the perspective I sometimes have. And this is a song also that really trips you up timing wise. Uh, at least it does me. Like, I don't know I, about I that. Keep, I keep thinking I know where the one is, and then it like, and then the 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 drums are coming when the verse starts. And I'm just like, oh wait, hold on, I don't know where one is. <laughs> oh yes, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean for for the first verse because that there's that little bass line mm-hmm. that kind of da na 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 da na na na. Yep, um, which is just classic major bass line. Yeah, um, I just I'm still not even quite sure I know. How I don't know where one is. <laughs> Now, of course, yeah. when it gets to the pre-chorus and the chorus, I know mm-hmm. how it gets more straightforward. Right. But it's when he's still playing that... And partway through the the verse, it's like your brain kind of switches a little bit, or at least mine did. Mm-hmm. And then it starts sounding correct, and then it... And then he, and then he it sounds switches kinda... it in a weird place yeah, again, it, where I'm just oh like, my gosh. Wait, what the heck is happening? Yeah. yeah. I'm still... In the 10-plus years I've been listening to the song, I still haven't figured it out. Yeah. That's crazy, yeah. And you're and you're the rhythm aficionado. I know. So, <laughs> so yeah. I mean, I think if I really sat down and like broke it apart, I could figure it out. But in the casual times that I'm listening through it, I don't ever like have an oh, okay, I I got it now. Mm-hmm. I would have to like sit down and really study it to figure it out. It's mm-hmm. not coming to me naturally. I would say that this song kind of holds its own against the rest of the Elton John songs. I think so too. So, this is a really strong song, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm glad to have it on the list. Yep. Um, All right, so let's give our final I'm, thoughts. I'm very interested to hear yours because I have a feeling that you're in a very different place from when we started. I definitely am. I I um, initially before this pod, little podcast podcast, um, I thought of Elton John as just like a pop artist. Which, I mean, at his core, he kind of is, you know. Um, But he was just trying to write big hits, and he just happened to be successful, you know. But after listening to especially A Funeral for a Friend and Love Lies Bleeding, it's kind of like, oh, he's he's a musician, and he just wants to make his music. You know, he, he, he loves music. He loves different sounds. He... He wants to produce something that's good for him to listen to and good for other people to listen to. And so he's kind of doing it for – I don't want to say for himself because that sounds selfish. But he's making music on his own accord. Mm-hmm. So kind of kind of in the same way we talked about like Pink Floyd and Tool do that. They kind of follow their own trajectory. Uh-huh. I think he kind of does that too, which is super respectable. And I wouldn't say that makes me want to listen to him, but that makes me – respect him as an artist yeah so my my respect really went up for him when i realized that he did funeral for a friend and i was just like okay i need to i need to check out more and see 
what he's about. Mm-hmm. And of course, none of his other songs really reached that level. Yeah. It's the only ever song like that he ever wrote, but yeah. still, I just found more and more songs. I was just like, this is a great song. Oh, I love singing along with this song. Mm-hmm. Oh, the piano's great. Oh, mm-hmm. this is great. That's yeah. great. And it's a lot of songs that just, they continue to grow on you the more you listen to them. Yeah. You're just like, yeah. Oh, I like this whole album now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was, I've, I'm going to sound like a broken record. I was a fan before, but I'm definitely more of a fan after doing this. That is, that is a theme of, I think, every artist. So I mean, far. that's how it should be. I should <laughs> like them more after getting to know them more, getting to know their story, yeah. uncovering more of their music. Right. The only times that's probably not going to happen is when I'm already at the super fan level. Yeah, so that probably did not happen with Queen. No. <laughs> there wasn't really much new for me to find out. Yeah, well, I can imagine. Um, but I guess that's our final thoughts. Yeah. So, so uh, like we said earlier, please go ahead and uh, leave us a review, leave us a rating. Uh, go check out our Facebook page. We have tons of discussions going on. Our favorite comments will get onto a future episode. And we have links in the descriptions for every episode to, one, find our Spotify playlist that has all the songs on it, as well as uh, a link to be able to send us a monthly donation. It'll be very, very helpful. And thank you so much for listening to us yet again. Yes. And uh, we will see you next time. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Keep on listening to good music. We're on in five seconds. We're going. We're on now. I don't believe you.